0: Hello and welcome to Lafayette, We Are Here, a podcast on French history for the American public. Napoléon, Marie Curie, Georges Bizet, Jeanne d'Arc, Les Lumières, and more. Episode 1, The Marquis de Lafayette, American Hero. Before starting the episode, I want to thank a few friends who inspired and helped me in starting this podcast. Seth Heasley, from the Hugo's Goes There podcast the dynamic trio of Hugo Girl, Lori, Haley, and Amy, Dr. Phil Nichols from Science Fiction 101, Jeff Palermo from Sci-Fi On Screen, who now operates YouTube channels. I will put links in the show notes. Huge thanks to all of you. And now, let's talk about some history. On July 4th, 1917, US Army Colonel Charles Egbert Stanton made a speech at the Picpus Cemetery in France, where the Marquis de Lafayette is buried. America had recently joined the Allied cause in World War I, alongside France and Great Britain. Colonel Stanton's speech, approved by General John J. Pershing, was concluded by this paragraph Quote, America has joined forces with the Allied powers and what we have of blood and treasure are yours. Therefore, it is with loving pride that we drape the colors in tribute of respect to this citizens of your great republic. And here and now, in the shadow of the illustrious dead, we pledge our heart and our honor in carrying this war to a successful issue. Lafayette, we are here. He was honoring that man and stating that America was here to help her her old friend, France. But who was Lafayette? Why is he the name on the podcast? What does Lafayette We Are Here mean? What did America owe France that American officers felt compelled to make whole speeches about it? Why is Lafayette an honorary citizen of the United States, along with only seven other people? Even though his name is famous throughout America and France, I believe that the details of his life aren't that well-known. To me, there are many Lafayette, even though he was always coherent. There is the American Revolutionary War Lafayette, the French Revolution Lafayette, the Napoleon Era Lafayette, the Restoration Lafayette, and the July Monarchy Lafayette. During his lifetime... France will have four major changes of governmental systems. And he played an active role in the establishment of the USA, a country that is a huge social experiment at the time. So let's begin with his youth. Lafayette was born in a very rich family in Auvergne in 1757. That's a region in the Massif Central, a volcanic area in the center of France. The volcano is no longer active, though. His full name is Marie-Paul-Joseph Mottier, Marquis de Lafayette. It's his title. He was a nobleman. His father died in combat when Lafayette was only two. His mother died when he was 13. He married Marie de Noailles, whose family is very close to the French throne. They married very young, and even though it was an arranged marriage they became very close and actually loved each other from what we know this marriage gave him access to court but he was not interested in those games and for a reference of what this looked like watch the movie ridicule from 1996 by french director patrice lecomte you all have an idea of what the french court was under louis XVI's rule so instead he joins the second company of Mousquetaires in 1771. He's raised as a soldier, an officer, and very early, he shows sign of wanting for adventure, and is a very quick study. In 1775, he hears about the American insurgents, as described by some British officer. He decides to join their cause for two reasons. First, he believes in it. And, as a French officer, he wants to take revenge upon England, France's hereditary enemy who bested her in the French and Indian War 16 years prior. Lafayette is only 17 then. When he embarks for America to fight in the Continental Army, he is 19 years old. Think about that for a minute. What were you doing when you were 19? I really wonder... What was going on in that young man's mind? And to me, this is a perfect example of the type of man he was. He was deep in the Enlightenment, the Lumière era. And he will hold true to his values, his whole life. While it would be far too easy to lean towards the strong man of the moment, we'll see that it won't be the case with him. This will create major discomfort for him and his family but he will be extremely faithful to his ideals. He leaves France through Spain, pays for everything, goes against the French king's wishes, so he could have been arrested by French and English alike. He arrives in America on June 13, 1777. And, by the way, when he leaves France, he doesn't speak English. He will learn it on the boat during the seven weeks of his voyage. And within basically a year, he's perfectly fluent. He will meet George Washington on August 5th, 1777. And, quick note, Lafayette's only son will be named George Washington, in honor of his friend. You also have three daughters, Henriette, Anastasie, and Virginie. And you have to realize also that at the time, France and Great Britain are the two superpowers. The Seven-Year War, known in America as the French and Indian War, was a global conflict with battles on three continents and two oceans. It's a proto-world war. So the possible implication of France in this conflict is huge. Before I go any further, I would like to give the situation some context. You see, most people listening here are probably familiar with the American side of things. But what happened in America at the end of the 18th century did not happen in a vacuum. What happened was a reflection of what was globally happening everywhere at this time period. Ideas of freedom, representation, democracy. These are growing everywhere, not just in America. And you see... Historians have two ways of looking at big changes like that. You can see through the deep causes, as we call them. In France, there's a school called the École des Annales, which is a way of thinking about history, that says that you have very deep roots to major changes in societies. And those are the most important part of historical change. Other historians prefer to say that person X or Y undertook some action and these actions change the course of history for the whole world sometimes. A very modern example of that would be Adolf Hitler. He certainly was an X-factor that nobody could have predicted and his actions indeed changed the course of history. But he also was a product of his time had he been born 30 years before or after maybe nobody would have heard of him so yes context is important but some person some people do have a huge impact on history's course so to me there's no school that is perfectly right or wrong these two work together and it can be hard to decide which is the most important factor but then again is it It's not always that important. You have to understand the whole context of a situation to truly appreciate it. So, for example, in this story, in this part of our story today, when Lafayette gets involved, the military context is really not favorable to the Americans. Great Britain is the richest nation on Earth. It has the most advanced and established trade system. Its military fleet is the strongest in the world. And the only country that comes even close to it, in wealth and power, is France. But France is different. France doesn't have the mighty British fleet. It does have a strong fleet. And because its fleet was badly damaged, partially destroyed in the French and Indian War, the French fleet is actually quite modern, because they have rebuilt everything Over the last 15 years, mostly. But the French have an advantage. They have the biggest army in Europe. So, Great Britain fears that the French might see an opportunity here. They fear that the French might attack the British Isles while they are busy over the Atlantic. And sending French troops in England is no fantasy. It can be done. England has been invaded times and times again in history, in the Middle Ages, or even before that. So it's a real security issue for them. And we should mention Spain, that also plays a role. At some point, they are readying a fleet to go in the English Channel. And fighting two enemies at the same time, is a worst-case scenario. Remember, war is the most expensive endeavor a state can get itself into. So adding enemies to the list also increases the bill. And long-term, that's a big problem because you can run out of anything. But if you run out of money, war is lost. You cannot do anything anymore. So it is realistic to think that the French could see this war in America as an opportunity to deal a very strong blow to their long-time enemy. France, as I said, is a more populous country than England, and has a bigger army. It could send an army two or three times as big as what the British have on their own soil. To give you an idea of what kind of army we're talking about, because most people would think in terms of modern armies, you know, post-20th century armies, which are huge. The The previous big war, as I said, is the French and Indian War, which I call the Seven-Year War. And, um, for example, when the French fought in Europe during that war, they were fighting mostly the Prussians, who were, who were the allies of the British. And those combats happened in modern-day Germany. And the French sent over there an army, over a thousand, a hundred thousand men strong. Sorry, A hundred thousand men strong army at the end of the 18th century is breathtaking. Imagine the logistics of that. It's all horse carriages, walking men. You have to do everything on dirt roads, mostly. So you need the manpower, you need the logistics, you need the finances. And the British army never reaches such numbers until World War I. 18th, 19th century, they don't have 100,000 strong armies. That's just not what they do. They have the fleet. This allows them to send very strong, specialized armies where they're needed. That's what they are doing in America at that time. But the fear that the French could use this chance to do something is real. But now, let's get back to our main story. Lafayette is recognized by Washington as a brilliant officer. He is made a major general in the Continental Army and fights in the Battle of Brandywine at the end of 1777. He is wounded by a bullet in the leg. He recovers and fights again in 1778, proving a very able commander at the Battle of Monmouth, Congress will congratulate him for this. In 1779, he decides to go back to France to try and persuade the French government of a direct intervention in America. When he arrives, he's greeted as a hero. But since he disobeyed the king by leaving France two years prior, he's condemned to 10 days of house arrest. Big deal. Along with American diplomats, including Benjamin Franklin, he convinces France to commit to 6,000 troops, which is quite a lot, along with a fleet. This will prove capital to the American cause. He goes back to America with the French forces and helps a battered continental army to fight back the British. This will culminate in the French fleet defeating the British fleet at the Battle of the Chesapeake and ultimately at the defeat of Lord Cornwallis at Yorktown on October 19, 1781, a battle in which the French forces, in Lafayette in particular, having pursued Cornwallis in Virginia and then taking part in the assault, took a great role. America was free and sovereign, in part thanks to her friend Lafayette. After a few more voyages... He comes back to France for good in 1785. But the country is in turmoil. French absolute monarchy is being challenged. Remember, at the time, the French king is really absolute, ordained by God, by French tradition. Assemblies are created to try and solve this situation. It's becoming impossible to manage. Lafayette takes part in a nobleman assembly in 1787, advancing ideas of freedom, equality. In 1789, the French king summons the état généraux, or estates general, an assembly of the clergy, the first state, nobility, the second state, and the commoners, the third state, to discuss those issues. This was a first in over 175 years in France. Lafayette is an elected representative, putting forward ideas for freedom and also against slavery. With a friend, Brissot, he creates the Société des Amis des Noirs, or Society of Black People's Friends, which at the time is quite breathtaking for a French nobleman. The États généraux are an impasse, though. And finally, on July 14th, 1789, The Persian people stormed the Bastille prison. The French revolution has begun. Lafayette, because of his prestige and military experience, is named commander of the French National Guard. His first act is to destroy the Bastille fortress, a symbol of monarchic oppression in France. He creates the three-color cocarde for his troops. It will become the French National Flag soon. But He loses political power over the next couple of years, being pushed aside by more extremist revolutionaries. He finally resigns his lieutenant-general commission in 1791 and retreats to his land in Auvergne. But he is soon called back in the army to fight the foreign powers attacking France, trying to undo the revolution. France will basically be in constant conflict from 1791 to the end of the Napoleon era. All the while, he defends the king himself, not wanting a republic, but a parliamentary monarchy. France at the time is entering the most violent part of the revolution. Frenchmen are turning against each other all the time. The French assembly finally labels him a traitor in August 72, and he flees France. Crossing the border, he is arrested by Austrian troops, labelling him a revolutionary. And he will spend five years in the Olmütz prison in Moravia. He is finally freed in 1797 and comes back to France. When Napoleon takes power by the 18 Brumaire coup in November 1799, he denounces it. He refuses to... Be the ambassador of, in the United States for this regime and again retires on his lands. He opposes Napoleon during his whole regime, basically, considering him a despot. He will always be a thorn in the Corsican side, who daren't touch him because of his prestige. Lafayette again holds true to his ideals and refuses to serve a regime he doesn't believe in. When Napoleon falls for good in 1815, after the Waterloo Battle, the Bourbon monarchy is restored under Louis XVIII. Lafayette believes that this new king won't respect the French constitution and will try to retake some of the old days' power. And indeed, the king tries to. He's very much a man of the Ancien Régime, the Old Régime, as we call it and he believes that the king should be supreme. Lafayette is elected in Sartre in 1818, and he keeps fighting for individual liberties and opposes all abuse of power by the king. Being defeated in an election in 1824, he goes back to the States, where he gets a hero's welcome. He then returns to France the following year, and is being elected again in 1827. France has a new king, Charles X, and he moves backwards. He abolishes some civil liberties, the liberty of the press, and does other injustices. This and other factors in Europe causes the 1830 revolution. It's basically a continuation of the first French revolution, but this will erupt in the whole of Europe. Charles X is overthrown after the Persian people, once again, took arm against its oppressor. For more details about this, read Les Misérables by Victor Hugo. It's a very good appraisal of these events and a major literary accomplishment. The new French government is nicknamed the July Monarchy and is formed under Louis-Philippe, the new king. Lafayette is elected in this government. And he keeps fighting the same fights. Even though Louis-Philippe is more modern than his predecessors, Lafayette still sees some abuse of power and opposes them. He also supports other people fighting for their freedom in Europe, in Italy, in Spain, in Poland. He will keep doing that until his last breath. He finally dies of pneumonia, in eighteen thirty-four, He will get a great ceremony in France and the American Congress will all owe him the same funeral honors as they did George Washington. He is truly the hero of two worlds. Lafayette was a man of ideals in a world ruled by opportunists. He fought in the dirt and in the assemblies. He fought people of his own own class to help the commoners he was an idealist maybe even an extremist for some but he was true to his opinions for his whole life and never compromised his values even when asked by the most powerful man in the world and to me that's rare and we could use maybe more people like that I think you understand better why I chose Lafayette as the name on the podcast. He is an important historical figure in both America and France. He links the two countries like no other, in my opinion, and he is a fascinating character. That is why I chose to honor him, just like American troops chose to honor him in 1917. So, there you have it. This is my take on Lafayette. Thank you for listening. Au revoir. You can find the Lafayette We Are Here podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and other platforms. Or on lafayettepodcast.com. If you wish to contact me, you can do so at Emmanuel at lafayettepodcast.com or on Twitter at menu underscore photo. The music for this podcast was composed and performed by Michel Dubois.